Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the channel. Today, we got a very special guest, one of my favorite people in baseball. One of my first managers in minor league baseball was with me kind of all the way through the minor leagues up into the big leagues. He is a former manager of the Texas Rangers, Jeff Bannister, known in the baseball world as Banny. Banny, welcome to our channel. How's it going, man? Yeah, it's awesome, brother, man. I said, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's, it's great to be here. Great to see you, by the way, to, and hear your voice. It's, it's been a long time. And uh, one of my all-time favorite people and, and players and uh, been, like I told you earlier, I've been keeping up with some of the things you've been doing. And uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. I can't tell you how proud I am of you and, and, and Bracken and, and to see your kids grow. And uh, so this, this will be fun. Yeah, I'm totally looking forward to it. I, I had this idea to start getting some guys on, online here, get, start a channel, start going with, and I was like, man, I was like, I need to get Banny on this thing. I'm like, talk about, talk about wisdom. Somebody who's been a player, a coach has managed at the big league level. I'm like, holy cow, Banny's my, my guy. I got to talk to him. <laughs> so now what I want to do, Banny, with you is, you had a, a career in the minor leagues. Uh, you got up to the big leagues. A very interesting story there. So I want you to kind of start us from, say, your, your minor league career. Walk us through that. Get us through the big leagues and then to where you are today as, as a manager and now a, a special assistant with the Pirates. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's pretty well documented on, in, when you spend 35 years in, 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 in baseball, um, they tell your story if you, if you, if you stick around long enough, but, uh, I was drafted, uh, out of university of Houston, uh, by, uh, an old scout, uh, Buzzy Keller, who is no longer with us, but just a, a great, great guy that in one of those great baseball names, right? Buzzy Keller, Carlton Buzzy Keller. And, um, he told me when I signed, I signed for a thousand dollars, um, in a Wendy's, no less. Uh, did you get a, I had to, I had to pay get a for bill with that or anything or, uh, well, I had to pay for his lunch. How about that one? <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> no, I went and went and played. I was, first of all, I was just, I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to, to be drafted. Felt like that, that I had the physical skills to play. Uh, however, a number of the injuries that I'd already incurred at, at that point, the broken neck, the bone cancer, uh, knee surgery, uh, seven ankle surgeries. It, it was going to make it very challenging to to be in this game as a player for very long. And uh, so, when 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 I signed, I, I went straight to to uh, Bradenton, Florida, the, to Pirate City, and, and started my my career uh, in A ball and kind of you know just really kind of maneuvered around inside the, the pirate organization from a ball to double a never never having great breakout years but having decent years and um, somewhere along the way I, I'll tell tell you a, a, well I'll tell a story of when I got the call which is to me a really neat story Terry Collins was a, our triple A manager at the time in 1990 you remember Pirate City, and I don't know, was it just a, the, the pay phones when you first signed? Where, oh, yeah. And you had to stand in line, right? I tell people, I thought, <laughs> you had to stand in line to make a phone call. Yeah, they had a calling um, card and everything. 
Yeah, and, and Karen and I, had, you know, we'd been married a couple of years. We had just bought a house, and I was I was sitting. Once I got on the payphone, we were talking, and I early in the day I picked up a little one of those little pocket schedules, and and I and I was joking with her because she wasn't even coming to spring training, and and uh, I'd circled this date on that on that uh, pocket schedule. Uh, and I told her, I said, hey, if I make it to the big leagues by this date, you know, July 23rd, guess where the first road trip will be? She said, where? I said, Houston. I'll be able to come home and see you. That's beautiful. You know, and so, well, fast forward um, through all that. And, and just to kind of catch up a little bit in there, you know, frontline catcher, backup catcher, first baseman, third baseman, outfielder, kind of jack of all trades. And. And I tell kids today when you're playing, you know, we specialized our athletes so much in today's game where I tell them, I said, look, you're going to find a manager someday or a coach someday. He's going to ask you, have you ever played here? Don't say no. Right. You're a baseball <laughs> player. Right. And so, and that's one of the, one of the assets that I had was the ability to kind of move around the field. And well, anyway, so that night, uh, we got home, or well, that July 22nd, 1991. Me and Whitey Richardson were, were in our apartment in Buffalo, New York. Mm -hmm. It was after a game, and the phone rings. And uh, I thought it was Karen because they were traveling to her and my mom were traveling to Oklahoma City because the next day we were going to fly to Oklahoma City. And uh, he jokes around and says, Said, hey, it's uh, it's TC. You're going to the big leagues tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, whatever, man. We we used to joke with each other all the time, right? You know, we, we're all dreamers, right? We're low round picks. We're all just we're the grunts of the world trying to make our way. And, and uh, I get on the phone, and it's it is TC, and he's he says, how long have you been waiting on this phone call? I said, well, if you're my wife, I have a couple of hours. And he says, no, no, this phone call. I said, I don't. What are you talking about? He said, we, Don Slot got hurt. You're going to the big leagues tomorrow. And then I, like, this is not Terry Collins. He wouldn't play this, kind of, you know, this, this type of joke, right? I think at the time I was, I was hitting about 265, 270, and uh, I wasn't on the roster. Uh, so all the, had so many things against the whole process, right? Right. And, well, by the end of the phone call, he had convinced me that it was really him and that I was going to the big leagues and Don Slaughter got hurt. And uh, next morning, got up, got on that plane, first time I'd ever flown first class <laughs> to Pittsburgh, walked in that, that locker room there in Three River Stadium, and they already had who they already had the, the jersey there with my name on it. And Played that night, had an opportunity, and why that whole pocket schedule comes into play is that the exact day that I had circled on that on that pocket schedule was July 23rd, and my major league debut was on July 23rd. That's amazing. Um, pretty incredible moment, and and I I tell the story a lot of times to young young guys. You you, you never know if you're ever going to get an opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. 
However, if you do, you, you, you have to try to embrace and soak in every single moment you can because you never know when that moment's over. We're not all guaranteed this 10-year career, this 20-year career. Um, mine lasted, my major league playing career lasted five days. Mm. And uh, you, you thought you were getting called up, like I could be there the rest of the year or like I'm moving to Pittsburgh. <laughs> right? <laughs> For sure. Well, you know, Jim Leland, um, who I love, you know, hard-nosed man, but yet had giant heart, uh, pulled me aside after the first night. And he said, listen, you're going to be here a while. It doesn't look like Sluggo Don Slot's going to be, going to be uh, available to us for quite a while. He has pulled an oblique. So settle in. We've got some doubleheaders coming down the road in Atlanta. Uh, you're going, he, he laid out when I was going to catch. Uh, but I know Jim loved to get his rookie players in as soon as he could. And he got me in the first night. I pinch hit for, for Doug Drayback off of, off of Dan Petrie. Got a base hit in the hole. Ironically enough, the things that I struggled with the most, you know, through the broken neck and knee surgeries and ankle surgeries and, it's what got me to first base and got legged out that hit. <laughs> and I look back on it and I think I wouldn't want it any other way, really, because it's the struggles and the challenges that you have getting to a certain pinnacle in your, in your, in your lifetime, not just not in a baseball career, but in a lifetime. Um, they were the things that carried me to, to that point. Um, and they were the, they were the things that, I was challenged with earlier in my, in my, in my, uh, in my lifetime to struggle, even walk, run, or, uh, you know, going through rehab every single time. So, um, but yeah, it was kind of that first great moment in, in my baseball career. Five days later, it was over with. I went back to AAA, uh, finished a year out, went to play winter ball in Dominican Republic. Uh, one Sunday afternoon, we're, we're, I was playing and, and uh, having a really good uh, winter ball. Uh, I go to throw a ball to second base, runner stealing, and, and uh, tear my UCL. And I'm out for an entire year. I come back, 1993. Um, at last day of, of, of uh, spring training, I'm – there at those backfields at Pirate City, I'm dragging that old heavy bag of catcher's gear off the field, and <laughs> Chet Montgomery's waiting for me at you know right there, right where the batting cages are at, where you go into lock, getting ready to go to the locker rooms, and I'm I'm looking behind me, and I'm the last guy coming off the field, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm getting ready to get released. Like he, he's yeah. just waiting for you. It just. <laughs> I was Chad. I was the only guy. There's. I look back. I looked over my shoulder. There was nobody. I'm like, I don't. You know, it's it's the the the, the walk of broken dreams, right? Yes. It, it's it's the nightmare every every minor leaguer, every every player goes through. Is that, is that that you know your last day? And uh, I I got up to where he was at, and he says, "Hey, uh, need to talk to you." And I, I said. I said, Chad, if you're going to release me, just do it. He said, no, 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 no. 
we're not going to release you. We get another opportunity for you. So they asked me if I would go to AA and manage a team for a couple of weeks. Uh, John Walkenfuss was, was the manager at the time and had to have back surgery and was not going to be there. Spin Williams was a pitching coach. And uh, I'm like, you want me to, to go? <laughs> These guys, I was just a number of those guys were, had been my teammates in spring training. You want me to go be the manager? Well, yeah, you know, player, manager, all this. It's only going to be for a couple of weeks, right? Right. And you know what? What hits you right then is like, this is what they think about you. <laughs> right. <laughs> they love your playing skills so much. They want you to go manage. Yes. Uh, it's it's so, high, you know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. I agreed. I, I did it. And then two weeks turned into a month. And Chad, it was, you know, first of all, I grew up a coach's son. My dad was a high school football coach. You know, so I grew up in that atmosphere. I knew that someday that uh, that's probably where I would transition to. I just didn't know that it was going to be at that time. And I fell in love with, with, the impact that you have on players or that you can have or the, how you can change the trajectory of a, of a, another human being's life. Not, not just on the baseball field, but you know, everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so two weeks, a month, a month, two months, two months turned into the rest of the year, uh, which turned into uh, the next year being a, a full-time minor league manager, which six years managing in the minor leagues, um, seven, seven years managing minor leagues, and then going to the big leagues as, as a coach, mm-hmm. um, and then back to the minor leagues uh, to be the field coordinator. And then an opportunity which I got to share with with Jacob, my son. When I uh, got the phone call, we were traveling. He was with me and visiting all the clubs. And we, were, we were in Florida, and I got the call that that they wanted me to come go up and be the bench coach for uh, the Pirates, which led to. Uh, five years of being a bench coach, which led to an opportunity that I always dreamed of, but never really, you know, I think when I stopped chasing that dream, Chad, it was, um, is when things started to happen and, and got that opportunity and Texas called interviewed and, and got to manage some of the <laughs> best players on the planet, a couple division titles and, and as these things go, you know, there's there's a light there's a lifespan and uh, of of coaches of you know in each individual's place. But uh, yeah, it's it's been such an incredible roller coaster ride. But that's kind of the the long and short of it, if you will. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So something just stood out to me there. So you're you're now coaching. You're a manager. You're in the big leagues as a bench coach. You said the opportunity just came. So when you were a bench coach with Pittsburgh, did you have it? Like, was your mindset 
you said it just came to you. you did you ever think like, no, I want to be a big league manager? I did. I, I really did. I, I think that that <clears throat> it's what I wanted to do when I was, you know, even when I was playing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, you know, there are a lot of you know, Chuck Tanner, uh, Bill Verdon, Tony La Russa, Jim Leland, Gene Lamont. I mean, there are a number of guys that that Rocky Bridges, these guys that would that impacted me in, in, in my life and it really took interest. Uh, my own dad, it, it, the day, day my dad passed away was, he was, we were having a conversation. We were talking about, you know, what my future looked like. And I was still a player at the time. And I had only, I had only played, it was, I was in my second year playing. Yeah. And um, so, you know, he asked me then, what do you want to do when you're, when your playing career is done? I said, well, I, I'd love an opportunity to, to manage. Uh, I, I, you know, what a manager was in my mind and what he really is, they were, they were worlds apart in the very beginning. However, as, as time went on and guys like yourself and Craig and Jack Wilson and, you know, guys that, that when, you, when you get to be a coach – and I use that term, and, and, I'll tell, and some of this we can get into, right, is it that I think we miss the, 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 the thought, really, on what a, what a coach is. What a coach used to be, what he is, right? And um, there's instructors and there's coaches. A coach, a manager, we, we, we lead to try to coach the heart and the mind, right? And it's the way I always – I look at it of, you know, how can, I, how can I impact an individual but also a collective group of, of young men to, to, A, become better people, B, better baseball players, and knowing full well that their baseball careers is – it's not really long when we, when we compare it to what, what the lifespan is. And so – when your career is over with as a baseball player, what have I helped you with to move you on into the next part of who you are? Mm -hmm. And and so, but answer your question, I, I the idea of managing was always intriguing to me. Wanted to do it, um, held on to it very tightly early on, okay. which was what I said. Once I let go of that. Because there was a lot of different opportunities along the way, um, but there's only thirty of those jobs. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I so I, I was scouting at the time. I kind of just got into scouting, and I'm like, I'm seeing you on TV now, and then I'm like, dude, he made it, you know? And I'm <laughs> like, because I, I knew your story, your the obstacles you went through. You freaking had a broken neck. You maybe we should share that story. Um, but man, I was like, I, like I was, I couldn't be more proud of you. I was like, dude, that's my guy. He's in the big leagues, you know. And I, and I was, I was like pissed off at myself. I'm like, I, I wanted to play in the big leagues for you. You know what I mean? Because you, you were a guy that, that, you, everything you did, you worked for, and you could see the work ethic. And the, the first time you were my manager when I was, I was 18 years old when you were my manager in Lynchburg, Virginia. I'll never forget when I got 
I spent the first half of the year in Augusta. This was in 96. And I get called up. And I, I don't know how, how long you were at Lynchburg as managing at that point, but I called up. We, we, we kind of somewhat knew each other from spring training in the past. And I come up, shake your hand. I'm like, hey, what's up, Banny? And you're like, Her, you, got, you got your Texas accent. And I'm like, <laughs> he's like, Hermie, I'll tell you, Lynchburg sucks. <laughs> So for some reason that has always stuck with me and and I was only able to really play with you for um it was actually that half a season in 96 and then the win the fall came and then I went and played for you in the Hawaiian Winter League when that was going on and we we were in Honolulu we had some awesome players like Michael Barrett uh Brad Fulmer you know I'm probably missing a bunch of guys here but uh, it was a pretty good big leaders that was fun and we actually lived together in Hawaii with a couple other, uh, what was it? Uh, Mark Ferris, Mike Ashby, uh, Steve Toby, you know, all, all these awesome dudes that I, I just love to death. So it was, uh, but you know, I, even though we're not, what are we about 10, 15 years apart in age, it was a cool relationship because I felt like, like you, you weren't old enough to be my dad, but you were old enough to be like an older brother and somebody that I could look up to and just like, dude, look at this guy work, you know? And, and I knew I would love for you to share your story because you mentioned you had neck surgery. Um, this was back in your playing days. Cause I, you know, we all go through obstacles in life and this is a huge, was an obstacle for you. If, if you don't mind sharing that story. Yeah. I mean, I'll start with <clears throat> when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, I'll talk about the, the bone cancer first and, and, well, I had knee surgery when I was a sophomore in high school, reconstructive knee surgery. And then um, I was also a football player. So, to, you know, played multiple sports. I mean, you, you grow up in Texas and your dad's a high school football coach. You are going to play football, just hands down. Don't, no questions asked. Well, anyway, so <clears throat> had reconstructive knee surgery as a sophomore. As a junior, we were, uh, we were playing in a playoff game. And, we were playing Astrodome. Uh, went to make a tackle, twist my ankle, which never really got better through the, the fall, right? Started developing some flu-like symptoms. Ankle was just, you know, excruciating pain. Um, eventually found out that um, I had bone cancer, which you know, had some cysts that were starting to grow on the bone, started to eat the, the lower ankle area, the bone started you know, deteriorating uh, in and out of the hospital for a, a number of months. Uh, I think in the hospital for four months at one point, isolation. Um, at one point, the doctors talked about amputating a leg, uh, which, uh, you know, as a, as a young, uh, you, you feel like you're bulletproof, even when you're going through things like that. Um, you know, I told the doctor then I was, you can't take my leg. I'm going to play major league baseball. You don't understand, you know, <laughs> all, all well, fortunately enough, um, I was able to overcome, um, I was able to, uh, be clean, recover, uh, went on to play uh, high school baseball 
only one year, my senior year. It was the only, only year that I, in, in high school I was able to play baseball. Uh, and I was not very good at the time. Uh, I, skills were so rusty and, you know, you grow from 15 to 18 and, you know, the body's just going crazy and trying to put everything together. I was fortunate enough to have been seen, got a scholarship to play at a junior college, uh, went to Baytown Lee Junior College. We were playing the fall. Uh, Coach Rod Sosby. It was the last, last, uh, last weekend of the fall, and it was the last, last game. And, and the night before, he told me, he says, hey, uh, there's a couple of scouts that are coming to see you tomorrow. Uh, we weren't scheduled to play, but I'm going to have you play for the first five innings. They want to see you play. I said, cool. Anything for, you know, for a scout, right? You know, the next little piece in the dream. And, and so uh, we were playing in, Al- in Alvin, Texas, um, home of Nolan Ryan. It was the fifth inning, runner at third base. I'm catching. Less than two outs. I think it was one out, something like that. Fly ball hit the shallow right field. Right fielder comes in. It's easy catch, high fly ball. One of those that runner's probably not going to go on. Um, So he catches it pretty much flat-footed. Runner takes off, aggressive runner. Throws it flat-footed into me. Ball goes up the line, up the third base line. And so I go after the ball. I'm, I'm, I think I'm on the inside of the baseline. I go to my knees to kind of, because a right-handed thrower, that ball's, you know, flat-footed. He got on, on, didn't get on top of it, got on the side of it. Ball's running up the line. And so I go to my knees to kind of try to scoop the ball, make a tag on the way by. Um, about the time the ball arrived, I look up and I'm going to make a tag and the runner's coming right at me. And I'm right dead center in the, in the baseline. And so um, my thought was to brace myself, probably bad move on my part. And then his thought was to try to go over the top of me. Um, and as we collided, his knee hit the top of my head. So force of me going up into him, the force of him coming down on me, uh, shattered three vertebrae in my neck, um, which rendered me momentarily unconscious on the field. Uh, and, and when I came to, I was, I was staring up at my, my dad. My mom and dad were at the game. Uh, they'd come to see, see me play. Uh, it was close enough to to where they lived that they could come see. Uh, and my dad was standing over me, and being football coach, he he recognized kind of the dire straits I was in at the time. Um, and he looked right at me and told me, "You can't feel anything, can you?" And I was able to tell him no. And so. Laid there on the field until the ambulance got there. They scooped me up, got me to the hospital, and by the grace of God, and, and fortunate enough that I had some great surgeons. Um, they took care of me immediately. 
didn't have any real feeling at all or movement uh, when they first got me into the hospital, um, did surgery. Uh, they put me in traction. Didn't, at, at first, I didn't think I was going to make it through the night. Um, it was that serious. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, next day, did surgery on the front um, where they just picked bone fragments out. Mm. And it was essentially they were trying to relieve the, the pressure on the spinal cord. The spinal cord was obviously not severed or anything like that. It was depressed over 50%, uh, bruised very badly. Um, on, and that was October 23rd and did when I got hit surgery on the 24th on, um, Halloween. And the only reason why I remember that I know it was Halloween because when I was in ICU after the surgery and there was a kid that was, you know, they were doing emergency surgery on right next to me who had got hit by a car. Mm -hmm. Um, but they did surgery that day. And at that point, they relieved enough pressure on the spinal cord when they went back in and went in the back and did essentially the same thing and taking bone fragments out and you know, carved out bone and plated me and wired me together. Um, but I started re regaining a little bit of feeling in which um, progressively every day, I started getting a little more. Uh, however, um, you know, the, the, the amount of time in the hospital, I went from 225, 230 pounds, 139 pounds. Mm. When I got out of the hospital, I, I had to kind of learn how to walk, although I was walk with a walker and had to learn to go through all the rehab to do, to do that. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, this is where the Texan comes out in all of us or in me. Uh, when they were wheeling me out of the hospital, my grandfather was there and he looked right at the, the surgeon and, and he said, well, he said, Leroy, um, you think Jeff had a horseshoe in his pocket when he got hit? And he said, no, Leon, he had a golden horseshoe shoved up his, when he got hit. And the doctor asked me, he says, <clears throat> I guess, your, your next question is, when, when are you going to get to play baseball again? I said, ah, no, I'm not asking that question because I know your answer. And he said, yeah. He said, if you get hit again, he said, well, there won't be another surgery. And so, uh, but Chad, that's, I mean, determination, discipline, you know, you, you talk about some of that work ethic, right? Um, I think we are all shaped mentally and emotionally through events in our life mm -hmm. that, that they take us, if, they, if we allow it to take us to places mentally to where we, we can overcome, work through all challenges that, that kind of come our way. And this was, um, by that, by the time I got to pro ball, I had spent over a year in a hospital bed, same room, in different times in my life. 
So I didn't want to sit around anymore. So that work ethic was, was shaped and molded in those moments laying in that hospital bed, looking at the same four walls and only hearing the outside and could only close my eyes and dream about what, what was going on. And playing baseball was the idea of playing baseball is what, what got me to the next moment, to the next hour, to the next sun up, sun down, sunrise. And, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, you know, as we talk about um, mental strength, mental conditioning, the mental side of what we do, um, yeah, it's, it's moments like that that, that that shape us all. Yeah, no doubt. It's, and that's, that's been kind of a, I mean, I would say it's been an inspiring story for me personally, because I knew that, you know, I think, I think I first heard about it once I got to the team in Lynchburg, you became my manager and, and I don't believe you, you didn't talk about it, but everyone, everyone knew, right. They're like, Hey dude, this, you won't believe what this guy's been through. And so I knew that. And then by your example, as you, as I watched you go throughout your, the way you just handled business, basically, I was like, I want to be like that, dude. You know, like that's, that was something that I looked up to. So I, number one, I thank you for that. And, and I think that's like, you're saying it's part of your story. Like, obviously you didn't want that to happen, but it's something that that's who you are now. Right. And it's, you, you your kids probably know all the story and they, they see your work ethic and now you're seeing that come to fruition with Alex and with Jacob and obviously Karen, your amazing wife that, you know, it's just been so cool to watch that as I've grown older and, and you've gone through this whole system as well. Well, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell this and, and I don't know how much you share your playing days. And <laughs> I have a, a little bit here and there, not, not so much. <laughs> well, you know, there are, you know, there are people that mutual admiration, right? You as a player, as a person, and watching a guy drafted and signed at age 17 years old. Um, number one pick. And everything, nobody can, unless you've been a number one pick, you have no idea, <laughs> right? What, what comes with that? The, the responsibility. Not, not just, it's not yours alone, right? It's you got a mom, a dad, you know, family, and it's like every player drafted, signed. They're 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 bringing the whole train of people with them. I was a twenty fifth round draft pick coming out of Houston that nobody knew. Number one pick, highly, you know, hyped up, touted. And then, oh, by the way, for a team who was in the middle of a losing era, not just a whole era of t- 21 years it took us to, to, to end that drought, right? So it's a whole organization. Now the responsibility and everything like that. And the reason why I bring it up and why my – Mutual admiration for, for you, and, and, and it's no doubt that you're talking about this subject. And 
you know, the things that, that you went through as a player, your challenges, the things that have shaped you, your adversities, your successes. Uh, one of the strongest uh, people I know mentally when it comes to, to enduring what it takes and then all the responsibility comes along with it. And then to, because, to, I mean, had, could run like the wind, Great arm, power. How many home runs before before the age of twenty? There's a few. <laughs> Come on now, a hundred? Ninety? Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, shortstop, center field, but there was a lot laid on you as a player, as a young man, and and, and the thing that for me in this subject right and is is how do we coach the heart and the minds of, of of players to be able to because this game doesn't you know i ask guys all the time why do you play the game well i love the game i love the game well game doesn't love you back <laughs> this game this game wants to chew you up spit you out and destroy you right so it's the most negative game there is. We love to compete. And the thing that I, that I loved most about Chad Hermanson was he showed up every day to compete. With whatever skill set he had for that day, and he got up the next day and did it over again. And still carrying, carrying the responsibility of what and never once shied away from that responsibility way too much for a 17 year old way too much for an 18 year old but and even get to the big leagues and I know the stories and um but mutual admiration for for you of watching your career nobody knows if we're going to have a 10-year career, a two-day career, or a 20-year Hall of Fame career. It just, nobody knows that. And it just, again, I'm going to tell you again, so proud of, of what you did, what you're doing. Um, and the reason why I, I love doing what I do is because guys like yourself that are willing to, to put themselves out there, to try to grind it out through whatever, not, not just the good days, because they're, I mean, they're way more over over fours and then, you know, than there are the four for fours. No doubt. And, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. And, and so, um, but yeah, one of the, one of the strongest, that, that I've been around, and I, I, I appreciate that. And I don't, I don't, only reason why I say that is, is I think that it's important. I don't tell – I didn't tell my story back then, Chad, because I know that everybody has their own story. Right. However, as I've gotten older and I've, and I've seen what it can do when you tell your story and – you never know when and if it's going to impact somebody that, that just needs, needs to get over that, that hurdle, right? That, that, um, 
because motivation is, it lasts about five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the impact to others lasts a lifetime. And if they can impact you with their story, they can impact you with a thought, um, then, you know, you're, it's, that, that can last a lifetime. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate those words. Those are, that's great. I really appreciate that. It's, uh, you know, one thing I thought about with you is uh, I have to imagine that everybody's wondering, like, what is it like to, to be a manager in the big leagues? Like, you're, you got a 25-man roster to go through. You're dealing with a GM. You know, who knows what you're dealing with the owner? What, what are some of the, I guess, the rough spots of being a manager? What is that like in the big leagues? Well, the rough spot is, is that, <clears throat> yeah, you talk about all the things. It's the, the, the day is, my day would start. And I, well, I listen, I listen to Jack Wilson tell, tell, talk about living 35 minutes from the ballpark, right? Yeah. When I got the job here in Texas, Karen was looking for a house. Um, you know, I, I wasn't going to do it unless they were coming with me and we were going to live here and all that. And, and, you know, I told her, I said, I only got one, one thing. It's, it's got to be at least 30, 35 minutes away from the ballpark because the rough part is I'm still, a, I'm, I'm a dad. Yeah. My husband. They're, they didn't sign up for criticism, right? <laughs> I'm sure they love it, right? <laughs> and you can't, you can't shield them from, from all of it, right? Because this is, like I told you, this, this game and what we do, it's you are one day you're a goat, one day you're a hero. Um, and the reality is, um, you're neither. You're not the goat. You're not the hero. You're the manager who is, who is trying to be a mouthpiece to the media to take a, a lot of the heat off of the players when things aren't going well. When things are going well, give praise to, to everybody else around you. Uh, you got to try to be the glue that, that holds kind of everything together, um, knowing that each one of these coaches are away from their families. And they've got everyday issues and problems. And your big brother, your dad, your psychologist, you're the guy who kind of puts a lineup together. Uh, You got to make sure that players are, are mentally, emotionally prepared to go play a game. Some of the roughest patches are when it comes time to send a player down or releasing a player. Knowing that when you release a guy, some of them don't play again. Yeah. And you're ending, you're ending a dream. And not just their dream, it's their family's dream, their parents' dream, their significant other, whoever, there's, like I said before, players come with this big bag and trailer of people. They're not by themselves. And then to watch professional athletes go through challenges, knowing that 
we're all human beings. We have human feelings. We have money doesn't wash that away. No, no matter, you know, a lot of people think, well, I make a hundred million dollars. should be happy every single day. May ease some things. However, it doesn't stop the other problems. And then as the manager, you hope that your players can confide in you and, and you can help them through those moments. Um, one of the toughest for me, um, Toronto, we were, uh, we'd gone up in the playoffs in the, uh, 2015 and we up two games to none. We go into Tor Toronto, we lose a game. Um, we just need to win one more game. We're on to the uh, lead championship series and we have a seventh inning unlike any other inning I've ever seen in my life. And I watched one of the best shortstops I've ever seen play in Elvis Andrews. Have one of the, the worst innings. He, he may never, I doubt he'll ever have an inning like that ever in a game. He's probably never had one before. He had three errors in one inning, which led to, uh, he didn't lose the game for us. Not one single domino in a game loses the game. That's the, that's the thing that most people need to, to, to get, a, get a grasp on. It's from the first pitch to the last pitch, they, they're all so interconnected that, you know, you can't just pick out one. We, we like to lock in on the, the single moments, right? Yeah. It's not like football or basketball. Uh, however, but Elvis had – had the three errors, we lose a game. Batista hits the walk, the, hits the home run, and the back flip. Her, her <laughs> singing around the world. Yeah. Um, but to see the player go through that and to feel that pain, and just and have no answers other than to tell him, this will never define who you are, what you are as a player, nor a human being. And, um, but to see that, to see that pain and, and, and probably one of the, the, the more challenging moments in my career of, of trying to come up with the words, if there are any at, the, at that moment to help um, someone you love, you know, a player that you've grown to, to know very well and you pull forward, he's, you're on the same team and um, saying, hey, bro, this, this will, we'll get over this. It's not going to define us. Uh, it's just one of those, those moments in, 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 in our lifetime that um, it'll make us stronger somewhere along down, down the road. Yeah, I think that's the hard part, right? Is this, you know, national TV, a uh, huge moment, like, Rangers are trying to move past, get onto the next level, and the worst possible thing happens to you. And I would have to imagine that how often did he actually think about that play for the rest of the winter, right? Going into like just probably going laying laying down at night, just like yeah, I kind of screwed that one up. And and do you just replay it in your mind over and over again, or do you get over it right away? And I, I'm sure there was probably a little bit of both of that for him. Um, 
but that's what professionals do. You know, and that's trying to get the amateur to do that. You know, it takes a little bit of time. It's not on that national stage, but it's, it's kind of interesting to see. I, I would, I would curious and I'm kind of curious to hear about what is a, what is a Jeff Bannister tirade in front of a team? What, what's a, <laughs> what's a, with that big loud voice, what does that look like getting on your team? Well, I'll tell you this, that in four years, I never had to do that, Chad. Okay. And, 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 and so we all, we all kind of, as, as we grow, right? When you and I were together, I was, I was young. I was, I think I was 29 the, the first year, 30 the next year, and <clears throat> fresh off of playing and had all this passion and energy and how do you how do you let that out in certain certain moments and and you know when you're trying to to reconnect your 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 team to and stay focused or refocus um and what i learned over the course of time that you know really the 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 ability to individualize those type of meetings mm -hmm. those uh, conversations of keeping those between between just uh, manager single player. Now that doesn't mean that we did. I didn't have spirited conversations to the entire group, but more along the lines of got your back. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. I'll be the first one out of the dugout if need be. Right, right. That the best teams that I've ever been around were those that were could draw themselves closer together, rally around one single moment or a group of individuals, you know, take that collective ego and move forward. Now, the reason why I keep it individualized now is because what I've learned is that that relationship that you need to have with players, because they are people, we like to forget that they are, but they're, they're, they're individuals, they're, they're people, they're, they're human beings, and that relationship means the most. That you do something in front of the group, you damage that relationship. Mm -hmm. Kind of like you almost embarrass them in a way, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so it's the last thing I ever wanted to do. And I learned that, you know, at a, at a, when I was a young manager, I would, I would do that in, in not knowing at the time, uh, but also having guys that, that I've managed before that I've sat down with since and go, and let them get real with me on talking to me about, you know, hey, I wish you would have called me aside and we'd had that, or, you know, I wish you would have invested a little more time into to who I was as a, as a human being, right? Yeah. And so I've, I've learned that. Um, again, that doesn't mean that, that they don't get spirited. Uh, I, I love, I love, you know, I love to, to uh, 
rally the troops, if you, if you will. Well, that was, I, I would definitely say too, that the intensity that you brought, you know, as I, you probably noticed with me, I was very even keel. I wasn't a rah-rah guy. I just, you're probably like, does this guy have a pulse? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, that's just who I am, you know, and I, but I think that's why having different personalities on a team is so important because you have those rah-rah guys, you have the even kill. And then when you blend it together, it's kind of a, a perfect marriage in a way. And I think that's where you get, you know, those good teams, the, the teams that can go on championship type teams that are go about in a professional way. And it just seems to blend it. It just seems to work. No, for sure. And you need all those different personalities. Um, the challenge in today's in today's world, right? I mean, you, your son what, is a junior in high school, getting ready to be a senior, mm-hmm. and mine's a, a, a senior, going to graduate this year. And so, and you scout, so you get to watch uh, all the showcase and all the all the perfect games and all right. And, and and a lot of these kids will play on three and four different teams, and probably don't show their their real personalities or they, their personality doesn't get to come out in, a, in, in that environment because they're not around long enough to let the guard down. Right. Right. <clears throat> so, and we've, we've almost cleansed that out of what these young guys do because of the, the, the culture of what they play in. They play on travel teams and, and, and I, I ask these guys a lot of times said, you know, can you name me the 22 guys that are on your team? Can you tell me their names? Nope. No way. Can't do it. You know, you can't. So it's why it's so vital that as, as you get the environment into the culture of where you allow these athletes to have their personalities, to try to draw out their personalities. Uh, Pete Carroll has a, been a, a big influence in, in, in my form of thinking and kind of how I've grown and, and the, the, the ability to create an environment that is safe enough for these guys, for each individual player to have their personality. If you want to be loud, be loud. If you want to be even kill, be even kill. If you, if you're a guy that is, you know, in the corner and kind of this intense and, you know, plays angry, then, then okay, play that way. However, understand that this is a, a family unit and we are going to protect your personality as long as you help protect everybody else's personality, right? And that's, yeah. and it, it's, that's how in this team environment, we, things work well when you have, have that created and the, and the people around you understand that. If you ever watch the Texas Rangers play from 2015 till the day they let me go, um, this was a group of guys unlike any other group I've ever been around. Elvis Andrews and, 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 and uh, Adrian Beltre. I mean, you watch some personalities play. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Rugnet Odor. I mean, they're, listen, Cole Hamels. Each individual all the way, but they could put their own personality into a place to where it worked inside that environment. Yeah, that's awesome. You you brought up Adrian Beltre. In fact, Adrian Beltre was 
if I remember, we were together when he was about 18. And there, there's two guys that stand out to me when I first came into pro ball. It was number one, Jose Guillen, who was with us, <laughs> that just had a Roberto Clemente arm, had, you know, Dave Parker power, if you're looking at Pittsburgh. Uh, and then a Adrian Beltre. Adrian Beltre was, I think, 18. He was a little bit – we're about the same age, I believe. And he was the first guy I saw as an 18-year-old playing third base that he just did things. I was like, wow, like that's a whole different level. And we actually got to be teammates when I was with the Dodgers um, just for a brief moment. But, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting going from team to team at the major league level, seeing – how teams interact, seeing uh, what the clubhouse is like. Um, some teams are loud, boisterous. Some are, you know, as me as a young guy coming up, I got to the big, I, I was mute, right? <laughs> and that's just the way the atmosphere was. Is like, you're a young guy, you don't say anything, right? And so it's kind of how it was at that time. But I noticed as I went to different teams, it, it was, it seemed to be more open. It seemed to be, uh there's some different personalities. So that was really cool to kind of experience what each team, how each organization handled things. And, and I'm sure you found that too, as, as a manager and a player. For sure. No, it's, I like how we've evolved in, in the whole clubhouse uh, atmosphere where it's a lot more inviting now than when you first got to the big leagues. Uh, I, I look at it, is that when you got to the big leagues, you were there to take somebody's job. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so kind of an, it, almost an enemy in a way, right? It, for sure. For yeah. sure. But that's, that's a, that's a bad team environment. Yeah. And not to call anybody. I just, but that's the way it used to be. Right. And, and there was uh, part of the whole, well, you had to earn your stripes. And what we've learned that that kind of, uh, of mentality uh, doesn't do me. If, if, if I'm a senior player on, on that team and I've got a young athlete coming in, it's going to could help us win. And my, my, fo my whole focus should be on the team and us winning baseball games. I'm taking that young guy underneath my wing and, and going, hey, how can we – make this more enjoyable for you and and let's let's help you learn kind of the do's and don'ts right yeah and that's we've learned that over time and we've changed that and there are some some really good things i think going on in in, in our in our industry now with uh, that doesn't mean that there's still that hey if you're an outfielder and there's three three other outfielders on that team one i'm struggling some young Outfitter comes up, guess who he's, who he's coming in for? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that is, Chad, that which brings up, you know, for me, it's, it's what our youth don't – they don't get that – they get kind of the external competition, right? Yeah. Team against team. However, they don't understand that internal competition. Wouldn't – Look, if you're on a team full of teammates, you need to – the best teammate I can be is I'm going to push my teammate to be better. How I play, how I work. And, listen, if 
you either, you're either going to get better or you're going to get left behind. But we're going to make this internal competition. Some of the best competition should be that internal competition, not, yeah. not that external, if, you, if that makes sense to you. No doubt. Yeah, and that's, I think sometimes that takes a while to learn, right? As you mature as an individual, you're like, if I'm going to get better, that, that's my job, right? That's, I'm going to have a coach. I'm going to have Danny there to help me hit me some fungos or throw BP to me. He's going to be there for me, but I got to want it and, and do it. If I, if I struggle hitting breaking balls, I better get on a, a cage or have someone throw me breaking balls. But it's got to be me that, that takes that action and, hey, coach, I need some help here. <laughs> so I got I to ask you a question. This would be a fun story. Yeah. Lynchburg, Virginia. You remember when I took the bases off the field? <laughs> you remember? You remember? I do. I do. You remember the situation? So, so I I, I might I, be thinking of two different stories. So, but no, no. So you're on first base because you mentioned Jose Guillen. Yeah, <clears throat> and it was it was one of. One of the many times I got thrown out in the, in the Carolina League. Um, Intense. <laughs> hey, listen, it was. I get to, I, I I raised a white flag on that one. I was there was some intensity there. It was yeah. I love to compete, and it's it's right. how you know. Um, you were on first base. Jose Guillen's at the plate. It was a three-two count, two outs. You take off running. Jose hits a ball left field. Hits a light tower. Yeah. Drops. We were playing the Braves, and um, the uh, ball drops back down the field to play. Left fielder goes over, picks it up, and kind of just tosses it to the side. <clears throat> Their manager, uh, Randy Engel, comes out and tells, has a little conversation with the umpires. Umpire says that it comes over and tells me that the ball hit the wall, and. Um, So makes it a ground rule double, and which, <clears throat> ironically, I get thrown out of the game because I couldn't believe. But the, here's here's where baseball has this this fun way of kind of things happen and they show up and you just don't can't explain them. I'm out of the game. Mm-hmm. The game ended in extra innings. You were on first base. Jose Guillen was at the plate. It was 3-2, two, two outs. You're off on the pitch. Jose hits a home run straight away center field. I, I looked like it was going to go in that cemetery back then. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was just one of those things, and I, I just – is one of those moments in, in, in baseball where 35 years, it just, it sticks in my mind to this day of, you know, this game is, like I said, it's, it's, it's a crazy game. And I, and I love the competing side of it. Um, so many twists and turns inside every moment of the game that if I could give young players one thing is that you got to embrace everything that goes on in the game. The struggles, the successes, um, 
there are no losers when you play this game. You just you learn from every event that happens in, inside the game. If you don't prepare yourself physically, emotionally, and mentally, it'll eventually show up. But if you're putting in the work on all three aspects, right, the physical side of it, I think the physical and mental side are, are, are hand in hand. They go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Strong body, strong mind. <clears throat> if you're working on your skill set, that will eventually show up on the positive side as well. So, what is like what my what was my shirt said? Don't be upset by the results you didn't get with the work you didn't do. Love it. <clears throat> and that's the thing that. I tell these young guys all the time, this is not a game that you can show up. Now, there's some, Mike Trout, maybe. Barry Bonds, maybe. Um, but just show up and be great. I've watched Mike Trout every single day. We'd go and play him, and he's out there working. Used to love to show up and go to the ballpark early and watch Albert Pujols. And that early BP every single day by himself out on the field, just rifling balls <clears throat> in that right center gap, one right after the other. He may never hit one in a game that way, but he was sure working on it. Now, another story of Mike Schmidt, Three River Stadium, he's sitting on 499 home runs. He goes out and he's working early. This is Mike Schmidt, 499 home runs. <laughs> <clears throat> and he's taking early BP in, in Three River Stadium. And he's trying to hit a ground ball and he can't hit a ground ball. But he knew that if he hit a ground ball, that his swing, if he could master hitting a ground ball in that BP, <clears throat> it allowed him to get to where he had that feeling. And it was just ball after ball after ball he was trying to hit. He goes out that night and hits 500. But it's even at that, it's, it's Jerry Royce at the time when I was teammates with him in 1991 in, in, in uh, Buffalo, who already pitched in a World Series, already had a no-hitter in the big leagues, and he's in AAA trying to get back to the big leagues. And he drags my rear end out there, and he's working on a changeup. I said, bro, you're 40 years old. you you got to change up. He's not, not one good enough yet. Wow. And that always stuck in my mind of the work is never done emotionally, mentally, and physically. You can never put enough time in. That's awesome, man. I, I have to share one story that's really popping out of my head that, that, uh, and we'll, we'll wrap this up cause you've been very generous with your time here. Um, so we're in Kinston, right? And we're, we're, we're we get, we played the game. We got a. Few, I believe we got a few innings into it, <clears throat> and the rains come. The, the rain, like big time rain, like, like you know, down east, it's rain where you can't even see. And but but fans are sticking around for some reason. And Kinston was a kind of a very small dugout, and the rain just starts. We're we're sitting in the dugout still because like, oh, this is gonna pass soon. It's gonna drain in the dugout. We're gonna be fine, but it, it didn't stop. It kept going, and the, the rain kept 
coming up to the day and we're it's getting to the point where you can hardly even get out of dugout so we're like dude we better get out of here and you were the only one that decided to stay in the dugout because you're like you know your your mentality like we're playing like i will go do the field myself if we're we're gonna play so so we're we're these young stupid kids we're like screw this we're going to the dugout right and i i've never done anything you could say disruptive. Like I, I'm a clean by the bell whistle type guy. I'm like, I'm going to do the right things. And a couple of my buddies, I think it was Jeff Kelly, maybe a couple other guys were like, dude, have you ever seen someone slide on the tarp? Like (laughs) one side to the other. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen that. I was a Rick Dempsey. I've seen with the Yankees. He did that when he was with the Orioles. That's one of the greatest things ever. And so we were like, this is our chance. Like, if we don't do this now, this will never probably happen again. So I, it, I, I thought about it. I'm like, well, what is this going to be? Oh, we're going to get fined. This is going to be awful. I was like, but let's do it. Let's do it. So it was about me and three or four others. We got all the way down. We took our unis off. We got into our sliding shorts. And I think we left our cups on. <laughs> and, and so the clubhouse is in left field. So you're sitting in the dugout you see three or four guys in their underwear, their sliding shorts, starting to run toward you to the tarp. So if you picture the left field line, we're running towards shortstop, and we die from shortstop all the way to you at the first baseline, and we we could hear you yelling. (laughs) By the time we even got to the tarp, you're like, hey, what are you doing? Turn around. (laughs) <laughs> and we slid we slid all the way to you I, I didn't even look at you because I was so terrified I'm like he's gonna be so pissed but I was like but maybe he didn't see who it was right so we we got up and, and there was actually crowd there was a crowd in the, the outfield and they were cheering us on they're like yeah they're doing their thing we get up kind of slowly walk past on the tarp back and then sprint back to the to the clubhouse and we're like, hey, we got to jump in the shower and we got to shower up and get dressed. So maybe, maybe Banny didn't see who it was, you know, because the rain was so, the rain was so bad. <laughs> we shower, we get into the clubhouse, get dressed. And you, you, you were like, you must have followed us in because as we're showering, cleaning up, you're like, Hermanson, Kelly, <laughs> like the two or three others. And I, you find us right away. You're like, that's 50 bucks right there. All of you, you know, in my wallet by the end of the day. Do you remember that story? Oh, I, yes. I knew when you, so when you said Kinston, <clears throat> I knew exactly where you were going, where you were going. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, uh, again, that was, that's the, was the young, the young manager in me. Um, it was that was uh that's one of my greatest moments and i probably as far as i've gone to cross the line i'm like but i used to i was like that was a perfect slide i i grew up on the slip and slide and i'm like oh that was perfect and you're like what if you would have ran over like stakes that are in the ground and we're like oh yeah i didn't think about that <laughs> well that's and i and i'll i'll be honest with you at the time it was like <clears throat> you know it was I think Bly Levin was there with you. Todd Bly Levin was yep. was one of them. Yep. Yourself, 
And it was like, as soon as you, as soon as you hit the ground, right. And again, I, I we talked about earlier, the responsibility of being number one pick. Yeah. And the responsibility of the, of a young manager taking care of a number one pick. Mm -hmm. And I, all, all I could see was, you know, some grounds crew had, had left out the tarp stakes or something. Yeah. Yeah. How do we explain Chad Hermanson's chest to open wide up? Right. But you know what? You, you, you live and learn. And, and um, if, I could, if I could put that, tell my, my younger self as a young manager, and they were all just kids. Yeah. And there are moments for fun, right? And and I, it's one of the things that I tell um, tell dads who have um, athletes or any kid for that matter, but athletes, moms and dads, or whoever the significant uh, adult in a in a child's life, right? That, that, um, lighten up a little bit, be dad. Um, stop it with the, with the backseat conversations where your child is having a conversation with the back of your head because they didn't perform or didn't do what you felt like they should have done on a field, a play, or court, or let it alone. It's not the end of the world. Because, and you know this, um, our kids want us to be dad first. And dads should know how to have fun, should know how to laugh, should know how to cry. Um, and should know how to just listen sometimes. Or don't ask the questions. This, there, there, there's going to come a time where your athlete's going to come back to you and, and go, hey, mom or dad, what do you think? And they're going to open that door up to you. There's, and even in today's, even major league manager understanding when those coaching moments, when a player is vulnerable to be coached, when a player is vulnerable to be instructed, I listened to some of the conversations you guys had about instructors and coaches trying to change you. Well, that's just, that's, you know, not allowing you to – I mean, you got to the big leagues being Chad Hermanson. You know, Jack Wilson got to the big leagues by being Jack Wilson. Um, embracing that. Let's find out if it works. Give you the information. Anxious coaches or anxious instructors or anxious parents want to dive in too quickly. And they want to tinker, make changes. And, well, just 
hopefully you're, the, the people that you're reaching and impacting uh, understand that we're developing a motor skill, right? Baseball is a, a series of motor skills. It's not muscle memory, right? There's some genetics that come into play. You got to be gifted athletically to some degree. But the better we can develop this motor skill, and you've, you, you started developing that motor skill from the first time you ever put a bat in your hand, a glove on your hand, a ball in your hand. And so me as a coach, as an instructor, I have to know all of that kinetic chain to understand who you are and how it works. And then, you know, develop that relationship with you that builds that trust that you know that, Hey, I'm going to be there when you, when, and if you fail, and I'm going to be in the shadows during your successes, but I'm going to allow you to do both. Got to allow you to do both because if, if, if we don't allow you to do both, then how do you, how are you ever going to, to, to maneuver your way on, on into to getting better. Because my guess is that Chad Hermanson, when he got to, by the time he got to pro ball, he'd probably been best player on the team all the way through. And first sign of adversity was probably not till somewhere in, in Lynchburg, Virginia. <laughs> right? There was a lot there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a battle. And for some guys, Chad, you know, sometimes if some guys, the first time they ever fail is in the big leagues ever in their life at the game of baseball, really. And they don't, we got to allow them to understand how to process that first and, and make sense of it and then give them a, a plan of attack on, on, on how to, um, maneuver through those challenging times no doubt that's awesome man well danny we, we we could probably go on for three more hours i mean we this has been incredible um i love, always love talking to you and and you've had always had great insight uh great wisdom um any last you could say nuggets for for our listeners and and, and what at the end of the day gives you your mental edge Again, I'll go back to all the, all the things in my life, the moments in, in my life, those, um, I, the adversities that early on, um, understanding that, that those are, that's just the file or the, the, the sharpening tool that, was going to allow me when I, when I understood that once I went through cha a challenge, right, whether it was physically or emotionally or mentally, that look back at it and go, because right in the moment, right? Well, here, let, let me, let me, let me do this for you. And I, and, I, and the reason why I, I'm going to do this is 
a great friend of mine, <clears throat> Rod Olson, who Coach O, and I, and you can, you know, he he puts it this way, and I and I, I read this earlier today, and it kind of sums up all this, and and, and for me, it's. Um, you know, a crisis or a challenge, it's only, like right now, we're going through a season of crisis, a season of challenge. It's only a season. It's not going to last forever. And so mentally, when, you, when you, you, you wrap your mind around that, that what you're going through right now is not going to last forever. You learn how to endure it, right? You, it's, it's like you get cut on the arm. It's going to scab up. It's not going to feel good, but eventually it's going to, it may scar, but it's going to go away. So the next time that happens, you know, it's not, it's not as bad as we make it out to be. Right. So the crisis in an event uh, over which we have no control. And that's the other part for me is that when I stopped trying to control everything that was, might be, do I, I didn't try to control all the good times. But when things went bad, right, try to control them, hold on too tight, <laughs> doesn't work out very well. No. And that's the thing that I, I, would, I would love to tell your listeners and the people that are watching is that, you know, daily life, baseball game, on average, you wake up in the morning, you're going to have three bad hops. Three. On average, it's it's just an event. How you respond is most important. Okay. We can we can fly off the handle, or we can go dig dig ourselves a hole, or we can go. You know what? It's not as bad as we think it is. We move on, and it never really defines you know who we are, unless we let it define us. That's awesome, man. Like I said, we, we could keep going forever. <laughs> this is so awesome. But Danny, I wanted to thank you for uh, coming on board. You know, you've, you've been such an awesome person for me and, and I've always looked up to you and, and hopefully we can do this again one time. We'll, we'll talk about a different subject one day and, and uh, kind of tackle that. And, but uh, again, I want to thank you for coming on board. And is there any place that people can find you? Listen, you know, you're posting a lot of stuff online. That's pretty cool. Do you have a place where people can find you? Well, it's um, <laughs> mostly on Twitter. Uh, it's Banny Rooster Twenty Eight. Um, that's you know, and there's a lot of stuff on on Facebook that is typically friend only. Yeah. Um, and again, that's, you know, that's Banny Rooster 28. Um, yeah, I think, you you know, Instagram, my Alex, she, she <laughs> hit me up on, on Instagram. So, yeah. Um, but I try to stay relevant with, with, uh, some of the younger crowd just so that, uh, again, it gets down to, you know, when we got to communicate with each other, it's, you know, I, I don't. I don't expect them to to step back in in time and, and pick up a rotary phone and call me. I, you know, <laughs> I, I need to text. I need to Snapchat. I need to Instagram. I need to stay in the loop, call. right? Exactly. So awesome. It, it's it's been awesome, brother. I appreciate it. And again, I'm I, I couldn't be happier for you and proud of you. And it's 
it's been it's been fun to watch and in and tell Bracken that Karen and I said hello and um we'll be watching hopefully I'll I'll see you out there on the out, out on the scouting trail awesome yeah tell your wife hello tell Karen hello and and we'll be seeing you around I appreciate you coming on board love you man love you man be good all right we'll see you take care of yourself hey what's up guys I want to thank you for listening to today's episode if you had any experience playing a sport while growing up, or even now, you know, have a kid playing a sport, you know how important the mental game is. Now, there are many that say it's at least 60% of their sport, and some will even say it's as high as about 90%. So if the consensus is it's at least 60% of your game, no matter what sport, what are you or what are your son, you know, your daughter doing to work on the mental game? I want to help you out or your athlete out. As I work with athletes at all different ages, they are all different as far as their engagement in a group setting or in one-on-ones. To help give athletes some options, I wanted to hit on doing mental training on their own time, one-on-ones, or even in a group setting. So I wanted to give you some options. My first option is my online course where I created over 40 videos where your athlete can watch learn, and go through these videos at their own pace. I would think and say that this is great for those athletes that don't want to be a part of a group setting or they have thoughts, you know, they don't want anyone to know that I'm actually working on my mental game. Now, these videos come in a yearly membership where they watch the videos, they have access to me through email during the duration of their membership, and they get a one one-on-one call per year. And this is a membership. It's $199 per year. So for more information on that, go to mentaledge.training. The second option is for those that really liked engagement. I've been doing live weekly online calls where I pick a topic to coach on. I engage and ask questions with the athletes on how this applies to them. They take notes in their mental game journal. And they work on that particular skill or the topic I give them for that week. Now, this option is a membership as well, and it's $13.99 a month. I also do get a lot of inquiries about one-on-one coaching as well as team coaching. I do do those as well. So you can email me at chad at mentaledge.coach for more details on that. But if you want more information on the links on these memberships I have, click on the show notes And I can give you all that information there on those websites. But I want to thank you again for listening to this podcast. I do want to make this better. I would love to hear any comments, any suggestions you have where I can make this podcast even better for you and to help you out. I also want to let you know that all these interviews on this podcast are also in video form on YouTube. And if you go search Mental Edge Training Coach, all these interviews will be there as well. So again, thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.